Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. This podcast forms part of a short series on putting people at the heart of climate action and what climate justice can mean for business. During this conversation, we are going to zoom in on the role of regenerative agriculture, hearing from a truly dynamic farmer in Kenya, Evelyn Akoth. Evelyn has been partnering with Practical Action in developing mixed regenerative farming practices. In the process, she's reduced her cost of production and increased the number of animals in her farm. During their partnership, Evelyn thinks that she has seen her income increase six times over. During our conversation, we hear from Evelyn as well as Practical Action CEO, Sarah Roberts, and Oliver Ferrecci, the project manager who has been working with Evelyn directly in Kenya. So Evelyn, Oliver, Sarah, welcome. Oliver, I wanted to bring you in first, sir. Can you share with us a little bit about what regenerative agriculture actually looked like on the ground and and why it's so important? Yeah, so regenerative agriculture, in terms of how it looks uh, on the ground, is uh, we can look at it uh, from two points of view. The first one is uh, crop and livestock uh, integration. And uh, in our our case, we are supporting uh, smallholder farmers to integrate uh, livestock, which is poultry, with hot culture. And uh, basically, this integration results in uh, these farmers having integrated farming systems that are able to support each other in terms of uh, the products that comes out of one enterprises feeds into the next enterprise as an input. So basically, these farmers end up having no wastes on their enterprises. So Evelyn, I want to turn to you next. You are a farmer. You're running a mixed farm in Kenya. What does this mean for you as a farmer? What does regenerative agriculture mean to you? Uh, when I'm talking on uh, regenerative uh, agriculture, this, uh, as I said, this is where we do um, different crops and different livestock. We keep them and uh, uh, one gets help from one another. Like um, one depends on the other. So it's like uh, it is circular, it's circulating. So no, no waste. You can't find waste there. This product is depending from the other one. So for example, uh, like poultry, you know, the poultry, uh, I'm keeping birds, chicken, and uh, I'm keeping them for source of food. And I'm also keeping them for income. And uh, also I'm using the droppings as manure compost manure in products of uh, vegetables. And I'm also using the poultry droppings uh, to feed my fish, fish production. So on income, I can see that uh, sometimes I sell eggs uh, if there is excess. And also my my house, we are using it as a food. Yeah, so another example is a groundnut. Maybe I can talk on groundnut. We were taught or uh, we were capacity, capacity built with a practical action that if you, if you, if you plant groundnuts in your, in your farm, it will add 
soil fertility. So it is a nitrogen fixer. So uh, it also helps us in a food, source of food. These are source of income. I am selling some, some groundnuts from my farm and um, I'm using the pods to attract termites for my birds for supplements to my poultry, birds, chicken. And uh, it's also, like I said, it's a leguminous plant. So it adds some fertility to the soil. Another example is uh, ALVs. Uh, do different types of ALVs. There are around uh, 10 different types of ALVs. I'm doing a seed banking of this. So I sometimes sell seeds to my local people. So is, uh, the seeds are readily available and uh, easily. They are affordable and uh, they are good. And uh, it also acts as a source of food. We are eating the green leaves. And uh, it is also a source of income. As I said, I am selling the seeds and I'm also selling the leaves for food. I'm also using the leaves, the green leaves, to feed my birds for supplements. Um, another example I have is uh, pesticides. I don't buy pesticide from Agrovet. So I only plant repellent crops like ginger. I plant them um, in between the rows. Like if you plant, if I plant one row of vegetables, you'll get me planting ginger or onions, another row, like that, like that, so that they can repel, so that the insects cannot attack my, my farm. I'm also using pepper as a crop repellent and uh, also vermijuice uh, as a foliar. Vermijuice is the one we are getting from uh, uh, vermiculture, the, the waste, the animal waste. I'm using that juice, the leachate, as a foliar. And um, another example is also hydroponics. And uh, hydroponics is uh, where we do uh, for the plantation without soil. We only use water and trees. Uh, here, there, um, we do it as a supplement for poultry, like food, and um, also for my fish in the pond. Thank you. Um, Sarah, I wanted to bring in you next. I mean, both in terms of what you've heard so far, but also, I mean, what do you see the role of bigger businesses in encouraging and supporting a, a sort of transition, a wider transition to regenerative agriculture? Thank you very much, Katie. Um, it's a real pleasure to be on the podcast. And um, the experience we've just been talking about that you've heard from Evelyn, Evelyn is a, a farmer in Kenya. You can hear about um, all the things she's doing to integrate different processes and run a really diverse farm where there's a, there's a fully integrated system and where we're reducing the, the external inputs. And that's, that's enabling Evelyn to improve her, her, improve her profitability and have a system that is, is as resilient as possible. And that's what's really driving a lot of our focus on regenerative agriculture as practical action. If I can give you another example from Zimbabwe, um, there we've been supporting 10,000 farmers in, in, a, in a concept that's called Fumudza. And that's not our concept. That's a suite of indigenous practices that people have been using, but not necessarily in a fully integrated way. And they include um, mulching and composting and intercropping. But the whole aim is that moisture can be retained, inputs can be used from what's on the farm rather than having to bring in external inputs. 
and that um, in very, very crucially, soil fertility is increased because that's one of the big concerns, I think, for the future of, of all of us is that soil facility, that so much of our world's soil is degraded. I think the stats at the moment is something like one third of the world's soils are degraded. And the FAO estimates that if there aren't changes, that could increase to 90% by 2050, which clearly doesn't give us a, a sustainable planet. And we know that the issues are being exacerbated by climate change. So that's why it is so important to find ways of changing our food and farming systems to more regenerative practices. And so coming to your question of what, um, what, what is the role of big business, well, clearly big business are hugely important in terms of the type of of farming system that we have. And big business can make a huge difference in terms of changing the norms, setting a new approaches to agriculture that others will follow. Because part of the problem has been, you know, the route that's been taken to intensive agriculture, to huge use of external inputs like fertilizers and pesticides. And companies focus on um, support packages that just focus on one crop. And what we need to do is move to much more integrated farming systems. And, you know, I've worked with agribusiness for, for decades now. And uh, actually, and I'm, I am really encouraged um, with the shifts that I'm seeing, you know, from some of the companies that have always been leaders in sustainable agriculture are building on that experience and focusing much more on regenerative practices now. But also from a whole range of um, less well-known companies, um, Practical Action um, has a consultancy arm that does consultancy in line with our mission. And some of the most frequent calls we're getting to our consultancy services for companies looking for support on regenerative agricultural practices and making that shift. So that is really encouraging. And I think the other thing that business can do is, um, you know, really, you know, change perceptions. I think the, the issues to do with soil fertility are not as widely known as they should be. And if you think back to the webinar series that, that you and I were part of um, a few weeks ago, you know, there was companies on there such as Eosta, the fruit and vegetable company, who've been running some really high-profile campaigning around the importance of soil fertility since 2013 and really trying to change understanding of the importance of that with the wider public and their wider stakeholder groups. And, you know, if you click on their website now to order your fruit and vegetables, you know, what you see is um, you see counters that show how much soil has been improved, how much carbon dioxide has been saved, how much water has been saved through the farming practices that they employ in terms of the way they, they supply, they, they, their farmers grow the, their fruit and vegetables. And I think that's also an important uh, role that big companies can play in terms of influencing consumer understanding and behaviour. Thank you. And for anybody listening, I'll make sure I put the link to that webinar series that Sarah mentions into the words that sit alongside this podcast. So you guys can go and have a look and, and check some of that stuff out too. Sarah, sticking with you, but I really would love to hear from Oliver and Evelyn too. It sounds like a no-brainer, like we should be doing this. There are practical ways of doing it. It's not rocket science. What's holding us back? What are the challenges that are stopping scaling? What are the elephants in the room that people are just trying to avoid and therefore holding, holding this all back? Okay, so, so yeah, I'll start and I'm sure my, my colleagues will join. I think, you know, it, it, it is a substantive shift. 
because it, it is moving from a focus on individual crops, on focusing on productivity and quality, you know, on off crops that companies are wanting to buy, to thinking about the wider food and farming system. And as you heard from Evelyn, you know, thinking about all the integration that is happening on one particular farm, that is a, a big shift, particularly for, for larger companies. So it's a mindset shift. It's a shift in, in the way they procure their, their produce. It's a shift in terms of the way they provide support to farmers in their supply chain. And again, in, in the webinar series that, uh, Katie, that you and I were involved in, those conversations with coffee companies who were suddenly thinking about, should they also trade beans? Should they trade maize? Because that's the diversified farming system that you know, the, their, their coffee farmers now needed to move into. Or should they be partnering with, with other companies that already did that? Should they be partnering with organizations that could you know, support the development of organic manures and, and, or, or help bring livestock into that system? Their agronomists and their, their support, agricultural support providers, were really having to change what they did and how they engaged with farmers. And so there's some big shifts that are required there. But again, we, we had some really fascinating conversations, didn't we, about, about those shifts that were being made. And then, of course, there's the, the question that's always there in, in any kind of transition is how that's financed and who pays, because a lot of things do pay off. But some of them, you know, there is a transition time before that money comes back. And especially if you're in a smallholder farming system, that, you know, smallholders are not able to finance that. And what is the role of companies in that? What is the role of governments in that? Uh, we're not seeing the financial mechanisms yet really catching up with the need. We had some very interesting discussions about payments for ecosystem services, which I think is part of the future with farmers uh, being paid for you know, their role as custodians of the soil of biodiversity in carbon sequestration. And we're seeing some moves to that, but you know they're much more advanced on certain parts of the system like agroforestry and not yet advanced at all in other parts. And we had some interesting discussions about the challenges, even with innovative finance in, in, in supporting this transition. So that's, that's a key one. So Evelyn, I want to turn to you now. What is holding back young people from getting into regenerative agriculture? or indeed scaling it? Okay, first of all, uh, you can see that, you can find that uh, youths are having this uh, mindset that agriculture is a, a dirty business. And uh, because the practical action is here sensitizing youths. So uh, the, the farmers in my area, in Kisumu, are now getting uh, it as a, something which can help their, which can change their lives when done in uh, in uh, agri agribusiness, and uh, most so, if we do it as a um, generative agriculture, you find that you will not use much money on buying those agri on buying those chemicals. But uh, the problem here is that uh, you'll find that this process is a uh, this I can say that it is a uh, tiresome. Like if and it is not something which if you prepare now, you will use it now. It will take time. And uh, uh, you know, for the chemicals, you just go to the agrovet and you buy. And for this, it will take time for you to make compost manure. It will take time for you to, to wait for the 
for the hydroponics to 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 be ready and also uh, like um, making those uh, pesticides so it is that it, yeah i can say that it is not that something that uh, it is a if you want it you will get it right now you will have to wait so the, the this kind of waiting huh? sometimes the the insects attacked the farm so for 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 them they will go to the agrovet and they will take that that one for chemical and they will come and spray but you know if you are doing it in an agricultural way you will have to to look for those for those uh, herbs you mix you wait then is when you will you will spray remember by the time you are doing this the farm is already attacked so these are the things that are hinders hindering youths or hindering farmers from doing this one and again you will find that uh, some uh, some factories which are uh, making these chemicals they 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 go as far as asking youths that they they pay them so that they cannot go on with this exercise of uh, of agroecology so these are the things i can talk of evelyn i mean you started talking a bit there at the end about what can you do to overcome or get those young people to overcome that those challenges of quite frankly having to wait and the complications of it and the, and the risk what other things do you think that we should be doing to better support both you as a farmer but other young farmers to adopt regenerative agriculture and to scale it and stick with it okay first of all uh, let me appreciate practical action they have done a lot because i'm seeing that um, farmers are adopting this uh, technology it's only that they are doing it in small scale so if there is any any other way of bringing technologies of doing it in large scales so that we can produce uh, the ones that can uh, that can uh, reach the demand in uh, in Kisumu county or maybe in Kenya as a whole yeah so what uh, what Evelyn is bringing up is uh, the fact that uh, regenerative agriculture is heavily reliant on uh, knowledge transfer and advisory services to smallholder farmers now unfortunately the current system is not well prepared to support uh, this type of intensive uh, knowledge transfer to smallholder farmers in the field here we have observed that uh, the government advisory services uh, in the past few years has not been uh, having optimal investments to be able to support this while on the other hand the private extension service providers have not been able to develop a business model that is able to service the smallholder farmers and therefore this means that uh, there is a disconnect in terms of uh, those who need this information accessing the right information at the right time and should make making uh, this disables these smallholder farmers in terms of this transition again uh, because of the risks and uh, the challenges of uh, adopting regenerative agriculture it means that smallholder farmers will require to be accompanied in this journey and be able to be uh, to be sensitized on the processes that they need to take so that they can be able to look at uh, at the risk that is uh, that they are having because if you transition today it has got to be a journey so that you lessen the risk as opposed to just having an abrupt transition and then you face the challenges in terms of reduced uh, yields and uh, pests that attack you in the short term but looking at the long term the the gain is uh, is much bigger than uh, the risk that uh, they are facing 
But the biggest challenge that we are having is the, the mismatch in terms of our availability of advisory services that are not fit for purpose for smallholder farmers to be able to transition. And the private sector businesses can be able to come in by, for example, having a bundled services. So if you are sourcing from smallholder farmers who are giving you coffee or tea, or they are giving you bananas uh, as a raw material for you, how can your agronomy department be able to bundle the advisory services so that it becomes integrated to the farmer? But of course, uh, as it was earlier mentioned, the issue of uh, costing, who will pay for this cost? And therefore, the, the, this means that uh, uh, we need to talk about how we can be able to work with the private sector actors to bundle the services, be able to ensure that uh, they are within uh, the, the cost uh, structure that uh, is, uh, is acceptable for their margins and that smallholder farmers are being supported uh, to transition. Thank you so much, Oliver. That's really helpful. And, and to Evelyn there. Sarah, bringing you back in here, I mean, I'm going to play devil's advocate. <laughs> I'm going to ask the horrible question, which is, you know, climate change, we've got it, we're feeling it now, it's going to get more and more hectic. Aren't we just investing in a bunch of new ideas that will then be kind of worthless as entire regions become unsustainable or the climate changes beyond kind of recognition? Well, I think it's actually the, the opposite, Katie. I think um, taking a regenerative approach to our food and farming systems is the essential way of, of dealing with a warming world. So, and there's, there's two reasons for that. Agriculture at the moment, I think, is responsible for about 25% of global climate emissions. And you know, a lot of that comes from you know, the approach of intensive agriculture. Moving to a more regenerative approach will reduce, mission, will reduce emissions. And also, as we've discussed before, you know, such a large proportion of our soil is already degraded and we can't sustain our world on, on, on degraded soils. So, you know, it's essential to, to restore soil health. And if you, if you look at the two things, you know, the, the two fundamental parts of regenerative agriculture, you're restoring soil health and you're diversifying. Those are really the, the critical elements and also making sure you are using you know, resources in the most circular way you can. So you're really relying on you know, the, the resources that you've got. And that's all fundamentally important in terms of building up resilience in a, in a warmer world. So we need farmers to have these diversified farming systems so that they are more resilient to the wide range of shocks that are you know, coming our way and um, you know, are not just dependent on, uh, on one or two crops and that they are able to access resources you know, from the environment around them while supporting that environment. Um, that's what's going to you know, help the planet be okay in the long term. So incredibly important to move to regenerative agriculture if we are going to deal with the challenges of the climate emergency. And maybe if I could just say something about um, what do we need to do to overcome some of the challenges. I think, you know, we're at that stage, um, particularly with, you know, the larger companies who are really trying to make the move to regenerative agriculture of, you know, working in some quite innovative public-private partnerships and, and probably people like you and I have, who've been around um, the system for a while, we've seen this play out as we've moved um, forward on, on a number in a number of other areas. But, you know, the programmes we're talking about in Kenya uh, is one that we have with uh, the IKEA Foundation, IDH, the Sustainable Trade Initiative, uh, that was part of the um, webinar series we ran. They have another program in Kenya with the IKEA Foundation. 
in their case with a whole range of, of coffee companies, in our case, as you've heard, working with you know, the value chains of groundnuts, tomatoes and poultry. And in both cases, there's a geographical approach as well. Uh, we're trying to use regenerative agriculture to revitalize rural economies in the Lake Basin area in Kenya. And but in, in a very important part of, of, of all these programs is that we are taking the learning from them. We are building up the business case. We're taking up the examples of what works and what doesn't work. And then we're, you know, we're sharing that with other companies and with governments and with financial institutions to help them think about how they can play their role in either scaling up, you know, beyond you know, the regions where we are in Kenya at the moment or taking that into a different context. And we were really overwhelmed, actually, when we set up the webinar series. We were trying to just encourage companies to, to talk together and, and share learnings. But with the final one um, that we did, we had 1,000 people, over 1,000 people um, register interest in that so you can see that people are hungry to try and really understand how to take this to the next level because it so, is so important for the future. Oliver, I want to bring you in now. What does this mean? What does climate change actually mean to you on the ground where you are at the moment? Yeah, thank you, Kate. And uh, to highlight uh, what climate change uh, means to me on the ground, I will, uh, I will talk about uh, one, of the, one of the young young guys that uh, we are working with uh, in the Lake Basins and uh, high, exper- high experience. So Evans is a 35-year-old man who is in Kisumu, Kenya. And uh, last year, when we had flooding, he was affected by the floods. His house was washed away and all his crop was affected uh, by, by, by the flooding. He lost his entire livelihood and his two children had to go hungry for a number of days as a result of uh, the family having been displaced. Unfortunately, the children also had to miss school the better part of the year, coupled with the challenges that uh, had been brought about uh, by the coronavirus pandemic. It was devastating for him, and he was telling me that actually life is becoming much tougher and tougher unless something is done to be able to ensure that we reverse the effects of, uh, of climate change. In the recent past, we've been observing that the lakes are now receding and sweeping, sweeping away those people that live along the edges of those lakes. In the Rift Valley, we've observed that uh, people are now being displaced. And therefore, if nothing is being done around climate change, then we are going to have a a catastrophe in the next uh, few years. Now, going back to Evans, with our facilitative support in terms of ensuring that we provide linkages, we provide capacity to him through subsidizing the government and the private sector, he has now been able to resettle is now starting his life again. He has taken advantage of the flooding and constructed a small dam, which he is now utilizing to produce hot culture and then integrating the same with livestock so that he becomes more resilient as opposed to the scenario where he was only planting tomatoes and when it was swept away, it meant that uh, all his livelihood uh, is gone. And therefore, it's uh, critical for us that uh, if our smallholder farmers can be able to go into diversification, then they become more resilient in the face of uh, different uh, shocks that uh, come with uh, with climate change. Yeah, but it really shows how much support and energy you need in order to kind of create that resilience. And Evelyn, I just wanted to 
bring you in here. I mean, what does climate change mean to you and your farm? Climate change is an unpredictable weather patterns, which sometimes it is a too much rain, sometimes it is a too much uh, sun or drought. So this is affecting my farm because uh, you find that sometimes um, you have planted like uh, African leafy vegetables. So you are thinking that this, this season, uh, the, the rain will favor me. So you'll get that there is no, even at all, even a ton of that, there is no rain. So if you don't have um, uh, the systems that, are for, that you can do irrigation, you'll find that you, all your crops will, be, will dry up. And sometimes it is too much rain that you, can, you cannot control. You know, with too much rain, at least less the drought you can control by doing uh, soil, uh, by doing uh, irrigation. But uh, for too much rain, now it will force you to practice, um, okay, fun, uh, we call them fanya juchini, like uh, you dug some, some furrows or holes within the, the, the farm. And um, sometimes it is excess. Even if you do those practices, you will find that still they sweep your crops. So these climate, the unpredictable weather patterns is really affecting farmers in my area. Though we are really fighting because we are capacity built by practical action. We are really fighting that even if there is too much rain or too much sun, what can we do so that we can overcome this thing? So this is why we are coming with these new technologies like uh, you raise the beds before planting uh, African leafy vegetables. You raise your, your house for poultry. You don't. You don't build that one in the ground, you raise it. So even if it is a, if it is a flood, it can, the water cannot reach the house or where poultry is. So the practical action is taking us to all these skills, how, how we can overcome this. So I personally, I do African leafy vegetable on raised beds so that if, it is, if, it, if there is excess water, it cannot affect my production. And again, if it is too much uh, sun, then you will find my, 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 my farm, I am doing a, what we call mulching. So the, the farm, the product, the residues from the crops, the crop residues, I cut them and I, I cover my, my farm. So the farm is not bare. It is not bare. It is, a, it is covered. So if it is, a, if it is a matter of a sun hitting the soil, it will not hit the soil direct. It will find something which is covering it. We all need to get to Evelyn's farms, go and learn how to be really good farmers. Evelyn, thank you very much for sharing that. So, Sarah, bringing you in now, I mean, we obviously we've just heard from Evelyn and Oliver as to what this means to, to them and the amazing amounts of effort and energy that it's obviously taking to really kind of make sure their climate resilience and capacity building in that space. Businesses, particularly the bigger businesses, are hopefully steaming towards and moving quickly towards the idea of bringing their kind of people and climate or people and environmental action together and and putting people at the heart of their climate action. But what would be your advice to them, given what you're hearing and seeing on the ground? Yeah, thank you, Katie, because I think, it, you know, there's lots and lots of net zero commitments, aren't there? And, and there's increasing numbers of regenerative agricultural commi- commitments. But I think what I'm finding quite positive is, is the links that I'm seeing companies make also with living income. So, you know, what does it mean for farmers and, and their families to be able to really earn a decent livelihood from farming? And that is fundamental because it does this, you know, what we need to live in a, in a world that is warming 
and where we still have you know large proportions of people who who don't have enough food security and where you know we've got people who are you know who've had the least made the least contribution to climate change really suffering from its impacts as we've just heard earlier from from my colleagues in such vivid detail is we do need companies to really understand what an integrated farming system really means and to move their they are going to have to move their sourcing and procurement practices so that they are supporting that type of system and so i do think it means them understanding much more and being much more linked into programs that are geographically specific so you heard so clearly you know what what does farming need to look like in kenya you know which is facing you know unpredictable weather patterns um so drought and floods that farming system needs to change so the way you know they procure their coffee the way they procure their tea the way they procure their vegetables it needs to take into account that they need to be grown in systems that are focusing on on resilience not just on productivity and as we've talked about before that is a big shift but but fundamentally important and i think if you do marry if you marry a, an ecosystem approach with a focus on on incomes um which i think companies are are you know have had a long a longer history perhaps looking at you know farmer incomes and i think that's probably a good way to go here big business you've been told to take heed take action put in some energy because we need to in my final question to you three today, I wondered whether I'd perhaps start with Oliver, then turn to Evelyn and Sarah. What would be your call to action for those who are listening to this conversation, to this podcast? Oliver, what would be your call to action? Thank you, Kate, uh, for that. Uh, and my call to action would be that uh, there is need for us to support more and more of the businesses that are transitioning towards uh, secularity and regenerative agriculture as this plays a critical role in reducing the greenhouse gas emissions that contribute to the effects of uh, climate change. And then I will also call upon the businesses to be able to support uh, their smallholder farmers to transition by providing both technical and financial support and then paying premium for those smallholder farmers who are producing their raw materials or their production in a manner that is regenerative. Thank you, Oliver. Evelyn, what would be your call to action for those who are listening? First of all, I would say that um, it is us, the farmers, the youth, to change our attitudes, to fight this, to work together, join hands, because even the donors are helping us. We, have, we also have to show some commitment. So, uh, I would say that it should start with us, the farmers, to join hands and do this together so that we can use this uh, technology. We go organic way. We stop using those chemicals because they are, they are killing us slowly by slowly. And again, I would uh, say that um, uh, the government also should uh, help us to change this because, uh, you know, uh, we will not, it's like now it's at, uh, a competition between the agroecology and, uh, and uh, the companies which are making these chemicals. So it is, uh, I'm saying that uh, the government should also come in to support this so that they can talk to the companies so that they can change their minds. Even, the, even them, they can, they can produce these agroecology pesticides 
in large scale and they can also sell them as well as they were selling the, the chemical ones. So uh, I would think the, the government also should be brought in. Thank you very much, Evelyn. And Sarah, to close us out, what would be your call to action? Thank you, Katie. And maybe just building a little bit on what Evelyn said, I think I think government policy change is important. And, and we have seen examples of that. Just, um, just to be really encouraging, I think, you know, we're involved in facilitating some work with, with government and private sector in Nepal, support of agroecological approaches. So we do need we do need government policy to change. And I think government uh, businesses should be ready for those changes. So my, my call to action for businesses is absolutely to commit to regenerative agriculture if, if you haven't already. It, if you don't know where to start, there's plenty of organizations out there ready to help. And in practice, I think that does mean understanding much more about the farmers that you're sourcing from and being part of geographically focused sourcing approaches, because that is, I think, how we join up um, the types of support that are needed. So, you know, building again on what Oliver was saying, we need support that is absolutely designed for the context, for the agroecological practices that will, will be appropriate to parts of Kenya, parts of, parts of Peru, parts of Zimbabwe. And we need the policy and the practice to go hand in hand. And that will take government um, suppliers and those who buy from them working together in very intelligent partnerships and bringing the financial institutions along with them. But I think there is a lot to build on now. And I would encourage anyone that's not already part of these initiatives uh, to get stuck in. Well, on that note, everybody, massive, massive thank you, Sarah, Oliver, Evelyn, for joining us today and sharing your insights and your wisdom and your calls to action. Guys, we've got to, got to take action. Massive, massive thank you. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 